We are going on tour. The Glamorous Trash Podcast and my book tour have collabed and we're coming to a city near you. Click the link in the show notes to to get all of the deets. We're coming to New York City. On June 4th, we are kicking off an event with Jon Stewart. No big deal. That's our very first show in New York City. Then we're coming to Washington, D.C., Nashville, Chicago, Santa Fe, Albuquerque, Seattle, Portland, and Los Angeles. So get your tickets now. We are doing three different events because, you know, I'm always doing the most. That's just on brand, right? First, there's a glamorous trash party. It's the podcast meets the book tour meets Coachella, a live show featuring podcast segments, book segments, a very special guest. And of course, there's a runway walk at the end for people to show off their fits because the dress code to every event is obviously glamorous trash. We are also doing a cookie country club. It's the anti-country club country club. And it's very dreamy. You get like a bunch of products. There's little events. And it's a more intimate event where you meet other cookies and listen to a book chat with what me and another special guest and then the final event the behind the bangs writing workshop i finally did it put it together put together this workshop because i wrote this book in many ways for younger me and younger me would not have gotten off her couch unless there was also a workshop being taught i wanted the gyms i wanted i wanted the knowledge i wanted the education that's what i would have wanted so i've decided i'm doing it and in the workshop is going to be the six writing gyms that took me forever to learn 15 years in my 15 year career as a tv writer and author and blah 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 all the other things i've written there are six things that i always use and all of those are in this workshop so if you have an interest in writing sign up all the ticket links are live today click the show notes click my instagram we are coming to a city near you and there's going to be some meet and greets i'll sign some copies of books we'll give out more books and i have uh, some pieces of merch that i'm taking on the road and i'm gonna give them out at the shows and I see on my lips, take a little sip, privacy on the door, I'ma make this shit grip. Hello and welcome to another episode of Glamorous Trash Talk, where I take a tangent and put out a shorter episode to discuss something besides memoirs that I also consider glamorous trash. So if you are looking for your regular Celebrity Book Club recap episode, just click a different one. We have so many new ones dropping this month, but this is Glamorous Trash. Now, why is it called Glamorous Trash? It just really encapsulates who I am, where I come from, and also my tastes. Glamorous Trash is moving into a gorgeous new apartment because you listed your bestie cell as your past landlord to have a passable reference. Glamorous Trash is doing your taxes with a magic marker. Glamorous Trash is a podcast about female celebrity memoirs where you talk about all the hot goss and the structural misogyny that leads to women's stories being considered trash. Okay, in this episode, we are discussing the TV show, The Ultimatum, Queer Love as well as a little topic I'm going to call uh, toxicity equality. Now, this is the second season of the show, The Ultimatum. The first one was with straight people. And if you don't know what this show is or what I'm talking about, do not worry. I'm going to bring you into this magical little gift of a television show. Truly, one of the other crimes of Scandaval and Vanderpump Rules is that they distracted from this little hero of a show from getting as much press as it deserved. I pray to God they're working on a follow-up season. Let's get into the recap. I would love to just start living our happy life. I'm ready, but she's not. 
Everyone is here for the same reason. Someone in your relationship has issued an ultimatum. I feel like I found my person. You'll choose someone and move in together in a trial marriage. And then you'll do the same thing all over again with the person that you arrived with. And whether you leave here engaged, single, or newly in love, each of you will decide what your future holds. Wow, so toxic. The very premise, nasty. Just where can we go from here? Don't worry, it gets worse. In order to figure out if they should marry or break up forever, the couples in the experiment then date the other people in the other couples who are also in ultimatums. Then they have group get-togethers and they check in and see how everyone's doing with their partner. You know, a totally fine, normal hang at a bar. Then they return to their partner for decision day, will they get married or break up? It is so toxic and yet against all odds delivers something really deep. Now, season one features five straight couples. Here's how I originally found this show. Late one night, my husband Yasser and I were on the couch with our laptops doing work. I cannot remember... The time is a blur, but I know it was a moment in our lives when we were like riddled with work. I, I swear it was when I was head writing for Jon Stewart's show and he was in the middle of show running a Marvel show, which is like two like 15 hour a day jobs. And we were so strapped for time. We we're on the couch and somehow the ultimatum started playing on its own. The pilot is a mess. It's incoherent. It's jumbled. We were like, what is this disaster? We keep working on the couch. Episode two begins slowly. We close our laptops. We are hooked. We stayed up the entire night to finish the series. I don't know if we were just like desperate to escape our lives or if it's one of the greatest shows of all time. I don't know. It could be, it honestly could be both. Maybe we were broken. Then they announced season two, Queer Love, featuring female and non-binary couples. I immediately got nervous that they were being inclusive and representing other types of love stories because I was worried they would not deliver us the disgusting, trashy mess of a season that we deserved. Typically in Hollywood, when they attempt representation in straight white spaces and television shows, they fuck it up worse beyond imagine. And by aiming to check a box, but not actually showing to you representation, they're just like a bunch of scared people trying to check the box. And then they ruin the show. Then they do a disservice to representation and inclusivity, making people think that it ruined their show. The Bachelor is a perfect example of this. And I won't name names, but I know you can think of other fictional TV shows that have done this as well. And then a hero came along with the strength to be strong and showed us all how it's done. The Ultimatum Queer Love. Season one was hosted by Nick and Vanessa Lachey, who had some sort of deal with Netflix to host all their shows. Okay, The Ultimatum season two comes up. They're gone. They've been booted off. Now it's hosted by Joanna Swisher Garcia of Magnolia Lane. Listen, she is great, but she is not queer. And her main kind of credit for getting this job seems to be that she is just not Vanessa and Nick Lachey. And like, that was enough. There are five couples. We will get into what happens with the couples, but there are spoilers ahead, okay? They they all come in, they all swap, they all, almost all of them end up engaged and then almost all of them end up broken up. Let's dive in. Our guest today is a queer filmmaker, director, writer, and performer from Chicago. Her films have won Audience Choice, Best Made in Chicago, Best Female Filmmaker Awards at national and international film festivals. Most recently, she directed, shot, and edited multiple music videos for Joanna Samuels. And she's worked on the docuseries Paul T. Goldman, a truly wild show if you haven't seen it. She's a junior producer at Caviar TV. And she has been on this podcast two other times, making her the most frequented guest on this podcast. Please welcome my friend, Kenzie Elizabeth. <gasps> 
most frequented. What a fucking Yeah, honor. no one's been on three times but you, baby. <laughs> oh my God, I raised my espresso martini to that. That's amazing. Uh, yes, we we are drinking espresso martinis. Uh, I made them for us. Kinsey's actually recording from my bedroom. I'm recording <laughs> yes, from my office. From we, your we had a mic situation. <laughs> uh, but I made us espresso martinis. And Kinsey, here's what I... Here's my revelation about espresso martinis. Yeah. Because I first kind of, you know, I had them at the wedding. Yeah. And those were everyone good. was like, oh my God, es- those were espresso good. martinis are so in. They were good. However, an espresso martini is a delusional man's Red Bull and vodka. Girl. I mean, these things will fuck you up, but you think you're being like classy and cool and chic. And it's like a wedding drink, but like it's full caffeine and full vodka and you just lose your mind on them. That's anybody who ever does cocaine. <laughs> That's <laughs> also that. Yeah, they're like, they're like, no, 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 I'm cool. I'm classy. I'm interesting. And you're like, you are not making sense. But I do. But espresso <laughs> martini is safer, better, more fun. And the us gals, we love it. We love it. Now, Kenzie was our guest for Sinead O'Connor's episode and the Anne Hesh episode. I'm going to call them underrated underrated episodes because I don't think you see Anne Hesh or Sinead O'Connor and think like, I, oh my God, my favorite celebrities, I have to click that. These yeah. are two of my favorite episodes of all time, obviously because Kenzie is one of my best friends. And so, but, but also those women's stories, like I just love those episodes. Yeah. And now you're back for Queer Love Ultimatum. <laughs> Which honestly, what an honor. Um, I am truly honored to be um, the queer you are talking to about this. <laughs> <laughs> now, a couple weeks ago, Kenzie sent me a text and she was really going through something hard. And I went to type out some advice because we often give each other advice. And, mm-hmm. I, and I really felt into it. And I said, you know what? I'm not going to give you any, any advice. I'm just going to tell you to go watch this show <laughs> called The Ultimatum Queer Love. And you're kind of like, ugh, okay. The next week, I'm on Instagram. Kenzie's at watch parties. She's hosting. She's posting stories. She's got memes up. Like, the table's really turned. So you fell in love. I threw all of my emotional trauma into the show. I threw so much emotion into the show. Um, Begrudgingly, I was fully against this show to start. I was like, this ain't going to be good already. But I, I I was fully going every week to watch parties. I was hosting them. I feel very in it. It's very important to me now, and I am surprised, like you. <laughs> I, I am so... <laughs> listen, it's such a thrilling journey. Okay, so we have so much to discuss. Yeah. So I'm going to put it into three sections, okay? The first section is going to be the couple's rundown and our our highlights from the series. The yeah. second section is going to be the fashion, because... Thank you! Thank you! I wrote a note in my phone, and I said... I am so obsessed with this fashion. Like every note I'm making is on an outfit. And I was like, that's weird, Chelsea. Like, why did that happen to you? Kenzie texted me, can we talk about the fashion? And I was like, yes. Like it is its own scene painting, dynamic, Mm -hmm. layered. Yeah, uh, it is a- Cosmic. (laughs) Yes, it is a snapshot of the times. And it really is. It feels, uh, we have to, I cannot wait to get into it. But okay, what's the third part? Okay, Third section will be how this show specifically did inclusion and diversity rights and what other shows can learn from it. Uh-huh. No big deal. Okay. So let's get into it. Couple number one, Xander and Vanessa. Oh, I can't believe you're starting with them. Oh, this is great. We have to. We have to. We can't <laughs> hold on them. So they, you know, the logline is um, female and non-binary couples. Everyone on the show uses she, her, she, her is used for them. 
However, I do think some castmates are non-binary. Oh, but for, I, it just almost all of them. Um, almost all of the mask presenting uh, castmates on the show use uh, either she, they, or they, them pronouns, and or Oz, in Ozzy's case, no pronouns whatsoever, just the name Ozzy. Their pronoun, correct pronouns are not used once in the entire show. But also in their own relationships. Yes. 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 So so I feel like maybe their pronouns are either fluid or Netflix was like, no. Well, um, th- uh, I feel like it might be a little bit of both because the she, the they, the she and the they's, definitely there's a fluidity there. Um, and all respect to using both she and they, it can get a little tricky. Um, but you get to be whatever you want to be. I will say I do fully conspiracy theory strong in my bones feel that Netflix said a no-no to the pronouns. If you go to their Instagrams now, all of their pronouns have been are fully um, like uh, Xander is they them at this point. Well, Xander has a non-binary, m- more masculine look. Yes. Vanessa, their partner, is like, the manic pixie dream girl for pansexuals. Perhaps a manic pixie nightmare? Yeah, a chaotic, we like to call him a chaotic bisexual. Yes. <laughs> yes. Is that, is that the term? Well, it's she, a very endearing term, but yes, it is. Yes, very much so. <laughs> I, I mean, Vanessa is a, a villain, unlike any villain you've ever seen, because she's also just a girl who's here to fuck. She is here to fuck everyone she can, and everyone says, no, thanks. No, thank you. <laughs> and they say, we must free Xander. As a group, as a collective whole, we have to, someone has to date Vanessa so Xander can be free. Yeah, the you know, the United Public was fully uh, for freeing Xander. And Vanessa is a villain. She is a Disney villain. She's Vanessa in The Little Mermaid, if you know Vanessa's. Which one's Vanessa in The Little Mermaid? It's when Ursula turns into a woman, like a human woman. And she's got Ariel's voice. She's sucking that voice right out of Xander, baby. (laughs) She's running around. (laughs) She, okay, amazing. So one of my highlights from this series is they they had this incredible story together where when they were both not out, they were in relationships with men in high school who were best friends and they were the girlfriends. Then years later, Xander is newly out, a key detail, They run into each other at like a food truck and Vanessa says, are you gay now? And Xander says, yes, are you gay now? And she says, yes. And they fall in love and they date for four years. But this is my takeaway. Mm -hmm. I've had this happen to me in a relationship too, where your beginning story is so like faded and magical, kind of like just just mm-hmm. at what odds that that story is at the core of a relationship that you were supposed to leave. Like you were not, it's not supposed to be your happy ending, but you're stuck on how it started. A hundred percent. Truly got out of one of those last year, like a hundred percent. And was like fully in it being like, there is a magic to the the way, but I will tell you the way it starts is usually in the end, the no matter how ends. magical it says, how it ends. Yeah. Xander, all Xander needs, this is what's so incredible. So Xander is like obsessed with Vanessa and and Xander has said, marry me or move on. Mm -hmm. Vanessa has said, I want to fuck everything under the sun on this show. This show seems to have given me permission to just go fucking crazy. Fuck Xander, fuck marriage. I'm here to get fucked. Mm -hmm. Then no one wants to have sex with her. Then she's, or but someone does. And then she comes back and is like, actually, I believe in marriage because Xander, all Xander needed 
was three weeks and a single other person to date them for once in their life. And Xander spirals. Xander's like, I don't know who I am anymore. Mm -hmm. I can't marry Vanessa anymore. My voice has been stolen. Xander needed (laughs) one experience and fully backs out and is like, Vanessa, I can't marry you. Vanessa's ego, it's Vanessa versus her ego, is like, yes, you will marry me. I cannot lose. She says, I cannot lose. I cannot lose. And if I lose you, it's I cannot lose. Cannot lose. And be, and she says on the show, she's like, everyone just always loves me. All my boyfriends and all my girlfriends, they just like love me and they don't ask anything of me. And it's awesome. And I just like don't understand why it's happening. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's crazy. But I also why. love the confidence. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Never underestimate hot girl confidence. My God. And, and, <laughs> and she gave it to herself. She's just decided I have hot girl confidence. Uh-huh. We love it. And, uh, this to me is the only happy ending because I think what's ridiculous about the show is that the only way I personally think an ultimatum can end is with the relationship ending. Like, I don't think the happy ending is I say yes to your ultimatum, but no. that's kind of how the show is set up. Like, they'll get married, but it's like that's a sad ending. Sandra and Vanessa are the only couple to break up when it comes time. Yeah. 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 They are the yeah. only, they're the only ones to stay like, and Vanessa stayed honest to her goal of not losing and Xander stayed honest to their goal of, I'm going to choose what is right for me. And they said that at the top, when they got into the show, first day, they said at that long table, like, I just want to make a choice that's right for uh, for me and for us, but mainly I want to make sure that it's right for me. And, and they were the one that gave the ultimatum and Vanessa didn't want Yes. And Vanessa got on that show. Oh, God, Vanessa got on that show and she did want to fuck everything. But it was so funny the way that there was so much judgment around her wanting to, like, fool around. And it's like, it is so interesting when you go on a show like this where it's literally half of the group is giving an ultimatum once marriage and the other, which we have to get back into. And then the other half of the group wants not marriage and wants freedom and, like, you know, to fuck around or whatever. And then she gets on the show to do just that. And everyone's like, you're here for the wrong reasons. And she's like, see, I disagree. I disagree. I think the show is to figure out within your partner if you want to stay with them or not. Well, then why? Why look, hook them up with other people? Too hot to handle is for hooking up this. You know what I mean? (laughs) No, no, but I agree. I agree with. So Vanessa ends up hooking up with Ray and this is they're one of the first couples to have sex. And like, I agree with that, though. Yes, you entered into this. This is your trial wife. But Vanessa's main goal was to hook up. And like, that's something you can do on your own on a Friday night with a loose swipe. You know, I mean, well, and what they did, she it was finger gate, honey. They talked about the semantics of where the fingers went for far too long in this show. (laughs) completely come and you're like you guys stop this what are we i mean i get it but my god (sighs) i get it but my god okay so then all the couples at the end have to meet and like it looks to be just like some permitless park like some open tree conservatory and they kind of meet on the they put each couple on the outskirts of it and make them decide if they're gonna get married or not they meet on a bench and part ways okay aussie and sam so uh Aussie is from Australia, but Aussie is their name. So I just think it's it must be a nickname that was taken on. Well, it is kind of crazy that they are from Australia. It's got, it's, it's kind mean, of wild. It's there's no be, way. That, yeah. It, that's it. That's it. So um, Aussie taught me how to weaponize the word mate. <laughs> you know, just start calling your partner mate and it's a real takedown. 
Oh, you would never have a partner call you bro in a fight? I have. I had just never heard. I was like, oh, mate. mate. And add that to the list. (laughs) Add it to the list. Now, Aussie is also Mm non-binary. And Sam is more uh, femme-presenting and... And I will say this, Aussie was a villain for me. Yes. This was my takeaway. They are a villain. They are an example of when you let your trauma become the third in your relationship. They were in a throuple with Aussie's trauma. Correct. And Sam's trauma was not invited. No, not at allowed. Not allowed. Not allowed. Yes. So it was all about Aussie. There's a point in the show where Aussie literally sits on the curb and goes, what about me? What about my feelings? <laughs> And, you know, all all their pain transferred onto Sam. They also spend most of the show running out of frame. So everyone's like, you have to stay and talk. You just, Aussie runs and grabs their shoes, puts their shoes on so fast. They're, and runs, runs for their life. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And their whole theme is don't run from communication. And they spend the whole episode running. And Sam is uh, also a little bit of a villain for me. Sam is the enabler. And you forget, and I forget, that people who get off on enabling, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a lesser, to a lesser extent, but Sam was the enabler in both her relationships, her trial wife and her permanent relationship with Aussie because they did get engaged and they're the only couple still standing, but it's because Sam seems like she'll put up with anything. Well, okay. I'm going to be honest. The first episode I watched, I turned to my room and I said, I'm literally going to put money down that these two end up together. They're kind of freaky. And by freaky, I mean, they both got trauma that weirdly feeds each other's trauma. But also I was like, I'm, I'm going to, I will put down that these two are more, they're happier being complacent and comfortable with certain things in a relationship that um, you watch on screen and you're like, Sam, how can you put up with that? Aussie, how can you, don't you see that this person's enabling your trauma? You know what I mean? Like you can see this seesaw go back and forth. I swear to you, the fact that they were the only ones to walk Still in standing. together and walk out together, even after everything we saw, because they did go through some up and ups and downs where Ozzy like, yeah, like genuinely had a hard time when Sam became quote unquote, they called her the new Sam because she was standing up for herself. And she was saying, I'd like to talk about our problems. And Ozzy said, I don't want to talk about our problems. And then she would follow them through the apartment. And I was like, this needs to stay. Either this, this vibe needs to stay and Ozzy's not going to be able to handle it. So either Sam's going to have to move on because this is her in her power. And, and by just like everybody has their own power, right? But Ozzy was like running from her. And then the fact that they ended up together I was like, man, it we makes got so much so sense. close to a breakthrough. Yeah, Sam was almost going to leave, and then no. I know. Okay, then we have Tiff and Mildred. Uh, I, <laughs> I don't even, I don't really have words for this one. Tiff, Yeah. I have. Do <laughs> you ever heard of a baby Tiff named is, Mildred? Me either, Doug. Me either. <laughs> no, Mildred as a name is tough, so. Tiff is also more mask presenting and also of the vest wearing type. We'll get it into, we'll get into it in the fashion section. And Mildred is high, high femme, like body contrast slashes, all of it. And they have a possible, you know, it's really hard to call it, but they, they, their relationship is <laughs> horrible, horrible. Toxic. It is it's your, violently it is, toxic. It's like, it, it's violent. 
It's violent. It's actually, One, for those yeah. listening who haven't watched the show, it uh, there does become a reveal in the end. It is very toxic, but it's also a, a toxic in a way that honestly sh- was, I was scared to watch come out on television. I was like, I can't believe we're admitting things, uh, these things happening. But... Okay, we're going to take a quick break right now, and we'll be right back. Sibling fights are unavoidable, but what if every fight you had was under a microscope on a global scale? That's the reality for brothers Prince William and Prince Harry. They were each other's closest friends and allies since the death of their mother. But that all began to crack as they married and took wildly different approaches to their royal duties. Wondery's podcast, Disintel, is hosted by comedians Sydney Battle and Matt Balasai. Each episode unpacks one of pop culture's most iconic celebrity feuds, and they recently took a deeper look into the real reason William versus Harry started. It's actually much bigger than these two brothers, stretching back into the history of the British monarchy. Did their feud start with the royal family's mistreatment of Meghan Markle, or was it something that started much earlier? Follow Disintel on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. I started this podcast because I have been obsessed with memoirs my entire life. And I can't believe it, but I got to write my own. And it comes out on June 4th, and you can order it right now. The book, you know, I was asked to describe it, and I said, it is an absolutely harrowing, traumatic memoir, but funny. So if that sounds good to you, order it. Let me give you some topics that are in this memoir. A female best friendship breakup. How I got my break into Hollywood. When I found out my dad was not my real dad. The time I dated a magician. Are those last two related? Who's to say? Read the book. Growing up in Utah. Growing up around cults. How I got into therapy. Listen, I could keep going. Each chapter title is a different woman's name in my life. Some are heroes. Some are motherfucking villains. But you know what? A villain and a hero, what are both of those things? A leading role. And we do love women in our leading roles. So pre-order the book. It matters a lot. I linked everywhere that you can buy it in the show notes, but you know, go anywhere. Also, I am reading the audiobook personally. So I'm personally narrating it. So if you like this podcast, get my longest podcast ever. And the audiobook is also available for pre-sale everywhere you get audiobooks. And thank you so much for listening to this podcast. You are the reason I got to write a memoir. So thank you so, so much. Okay, welcome back. Let's continue the conversation. You know what? It's really hard to call it, but they, they, their relationship is <laughs> horrible, horrible. Toxic. It is your, it's violently it is, toxic. It's like, it, it's violent. It's violent. It's actually One, for those yeah. listening who haven't watched the show, it, there does become a reveal in the end. It is very toxic, but it's also a, a toxic in a way that honestly sh- was, I was scared to watch come out on television. I was like, I can't believe we're admitting things, uh, these things happening, but Oh, I was thrilled. I was like, this needs to be shown on television so the people who are in this type of relationship and are able to tell themselves, I am not in a dangerous relationship, will be able to see it. Because a true quote from this couple is that they have broken up 50 times. Five, zero. How long have they been together? Two years. 50 full breakups. Two years. What do they do? They Uh get engaged. And the best part of the series... It comes to the moment they're playing the music. It's like, ah, uh-huh. la, la, la. And they're like meeting at like a cliff. And Tiff is standing there. And the whole thing is like, so Mildred had given Tiff the ultimatum, like marry yes. me or walk out. And so it's like, will Tiff propose? 
in Tiff's tight jeans is a giant box protruding from their back pocket. The whole, you're like, we know how this ends. Um, uh, yeah, is- they were really, they're really rough to be a part of. And I, I feel like really heartbroken that in the reunion, it comes out that Tiff had to call the police on Mildred for mm-hmm. throwing a dog gate. A at doggy them. gate. Yeah. We can literally call it doggy gate. And oh my God, it's finger gate and doggy gate. <laughs> finger gate and doggy gate. And it's, there's going to be more coming around. Just wait. It is pretty triggering, I think, to watch um, Tiff, who I think is pretty problematic, get put in a position yeah. where they are getting um, very gaslit on screen. Um, and it is pretty crazy to watch. It's also one, I mean, yeah. I got goosebumps literally just talking about it. It also happens so fast. And if you're, if um, as I have been in very emotional relationships before, where you can get to this place of just like talking and then it escalates and then it's escalating even more. And the next thing you know, you still think you're talking, but nothing's being communicated and things are flying around the room. That's, it's very helpful, like you said, to have something concrete on screen say this is not safe and this is not okay and it's I don't know it's um you know we've got a queer people are really interesting there's a lot of boundaries when it comes to dating um men I'll speak personally I've got a lot of boundaries when it comes to dating men um where things won't fly but in queerness because there's so much trauma in being queer and there's so much like little t big t trauma. There's also just so much self-discovery. Sometimes that stuff that wouldn't fly in other relationships and heterosexual relationships fly in homosexual relationships Mm. because it's like you're all in it trying to figure out what is okay, what is love, what is safety, and what is okay when there aren't maps for yeah. Queer relationships. That was so beautifully said, Kenzie. So beautifully said. Okay, that brings us to Lexi and Ray. Ah! (laughs) Key to this relationship is that Lexi is 24, but if you had not told me that, I would have been like, she is the hottest 59-year-old I've ever seen because (laughs) her personality is 59. Correct. But she is a a beautiful 24-year-old woman. Ray is 27, so they're, they're both very young. They are both high femme lesbians. And honestly, <laughs> I was refreshed to see. This is also, I think, going to come into the fashion section, but I will say I was so refreshed to see a femme for femme. It was so exciting. Mm-hmm. I was like, we don't get, we think that when you're in a queer relationship, it's got to also align with gender that's very um, heteronormative. I loved this. I genuinely loved this dynamic. They both were kind of sporty, also femme queers. And that was really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. That's also why I have sort of been listing out what each couple is because Lexi and Ray were such a like oddly unique, kind of unique representation. It felt like, yeah. Okay. Now I want to say this. Lexi is also a villain. So I don't know if everyone sees Lexi as a villain, but I see her as a villain. And I got to tell you, I saw the ghost of past Chelsea in her eyes. Girl. When Lexi gets so jealous that Ray has finger-gated <laughs> Vanessa, she not only is jealous, she, she is hammering her in every scene. And she's saying things like, the person 
who I love with my entire soul had someone else's fingers inside of my soulmate. And she's like over and over and over again. And she's punishing Ray. Uh And I was like, oh, she's trying to get something from Ray that she can't have. And she's trying to use this to get it. And I'm not saying I did stuff like that, but I did see like how your own insecurity and jealousy can become so toxic and where you fixate on details. Like Uh you did what with her? Like I was so fixated on this, on details. Um, And I was like, oh, yeah, it's like the the focusing on the facts versus the feelings or why that happened in the first place. Just like the facts of it, you put and the, there was the quote: "She led my hand to her vagina," is what Vanessa said, and the look on Lexi's face when she heard that Vanessa's hand had been guided to Ray's vagina. Also, literally, why are we call? I wouldn't. I just like never would call it a vagina in a. In a when speaking about also, a sexy like, this situation, is a, one of their group hangouts. They're at a group hangout where she's at a table with Vanessa, being like, "Who led whose fingers to whose vagina of my soulmate?" Like it's epic. It's epic. And it is. let me ask you this: Have you gone to Lexi's Instagram, uh, girl? Have you gone to her TikTok? <laughs> I just got one up. I just got one up. No, I haven't. <laughs> it is. First of all, wait, can we tell You got to tell the people what happened to the couple. Okay. So Lexi has a really cool personality. Like it's very like grounded and forthright at first, on first impression. So she's like really in control. She's really caring. She's wise beyond her years. Um, she's absolutely gorgeous. But these things come up in the show where she's like, I'm not always comfortable with my body. And but they also talk about how she has, she is really well endowed on top. Listen, I was looking at her being like, what swimsuits are those? I got to get them like these, you know, she has, like she's big got, old, she's got two queen. huge gifts. Very. Yes. yes. And she's been gifted. Yes. Yes. And I. Anyways, so I was like, what's her Instagram like? And, and But she sort of presented a, a certain way. Her Instagram is full. Every photo is a uh, lingerie shoot. Yeah, girl. That's a TikTok. Like, I'm talking lingerie where you like click things into other, like you seatbelt in the panties to the thigh highs. <laughs> Stop. See, the TikToks are her in this, every video is her in the same sports bra. And it looks like a sports bra, but I think because she's just very well gifted, it might be like a just a super supportive bra, but it is the same one. Every video, and it's her doing those little TikTok dances and her boobies be boobying. And it is, I mean, every video. I, I love this for her. It's just a 180 from the person on the show. So it feels very shocking when you encounter it. But I'm also like, sort of like, I just love, like, usually you see, it, it has very straight girl vibes to it. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, which is, we need to put a pin in that because I got a lot to say about that. Yes. And not just Lexi, but a lot of straight girl vibes happening on this show. We'll come back to oh. it. Oh, Okay. Last couple, Mal and Yoli. So uh, Mal is also non-binary masculine presenting Yoli high femme. I was fully out on Mal the entire series. I was like, Mal, you are out of your mind. And I was in love with Yoli. I was rooting for Yoli and Xander to get together. 
by the end of the reunion, I said, Mal is the hero and Yoli is the mm-hmm. villain. It, it changed everything for me. And the whole series, basically, Mal was just being the most incredible, stable communicator as Yoli was completely in love with Xander. And Mal would be like, I trust you and I, I won't disrespect your love with Xander. And I would think to myself, like, are you out of your mind? She's telling you she's in love with someone else. Like, do something. Mm-hmm. Come to the reunion. Mal is like, you lied to me the whole time. You they call me. Yoli a dangerous stranger. Yep. And Yoli is sort of outed as not being so nice as we thought. No. And I got to be honest, I was not, I was not into Mal in the beginning either. I felt like a little bit of like the same um, similar vibe to Vanessa needing to win. And then when you really look at the way they, and I also was like, I kind of turned off by how kind of corny they were at times. And I was like, you're just like throwing out these lines, man. These are not the same lines. And you're just like, because they ended up, their trial wife was Lexi. And the way that they exchanged conversations was really Lexi weird and Mal to were me. faking the whole thing. Ugh, and it gave me such an ick. But I think it's because Mal was fully st- fully faithful and in love with Yoli and trying to yes. use this experience to allow Yoli to do what she needed and also allow Mal to figure out that what... Because Mal got into this... Not saying, I don't want to marry Yoli. Mal got into this saying, I want to make sure that Yoli is truly choosing me because Yoli falls in love with everybody. And she's constantly- And then Yoli did fall in love. Yes, and I at first was like, Mal, that's a real rude-ass thing to say about your partner. But uh, it turns out they're not wrong. And then- Not wrong at all. No. Okay. Last two highlights before we move on to our fashion section. I just want to say- you know, in Love is Blind, they share these apartments together. Every now and then they bring a dog. So now the <laughs> ultimatum, queer love, they're sharing apartments together. Every single apartment has mm-hmm. a dog come in. I mean, the dogs just start coming in. I was like, this is incredible. Then they show footage of people. The one couple like has sex with the dog on, on the, the bed. The bed. But I will say, I was laughing so hard. Like, dogs are a huge part of this series. <laughs> well, dogs are a huge part of lesbians, girl. <laughs> I know. It's just like, I loved seeing it. You know what I mean? It was great. I did need some cat representation as a cat mom Yeah, there's no cat representation. There was none. But I, it was so, um, in a beautiful way, the way all humans are can kind of be stereotypical. This was the one stereotype I really loved. I really loved it. I loved it. You, you get to see all these dogs, how the dogs play into the relationships, Tiff losing her mind. Okay, yes. so this is my pivot. I'm going to take one of my highlights and, and open our fashion section, which is that Vanessa comes in as the villain. And I think you're going to disagree with me on this, so I'm excited. Mm-hmm. I think Vanessa at the reunion and throughout the show is a masterclass in how to handle people not liking you. I mean, she took things that would shatter me and kind of had some accountability at the reunion, which you don't really see from a villain. Mm-hmm. I don't think other the other people there believed Vanessa, but on camera, it looked good. And I want it, but I have one important thing to say. Yeah. How does Vanessa have barrel roll curling iron curls? How, <laughs> how, how? That is not who she is. It's, it's, it's a crime on her own hair. She's supposed to have Farrah Fawcett feathered waves. <laughs> She's supposed to have long, crimped mermaid hair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's going on? 
Well, this is my fashion section. This is the fa- and here we are in the fashion fashion section, which is very important. Here's here's what I say. I she was a villain when she was blonde. The minute the reunion started and she was dark brown hair, I was like, something's wrong with my gal. My villain, she's in her soft girl era. And I was scared for her a little bit. I was like, you are walking into this. You're walking in the lion's den having once been a villain and now walking in kind of like ouchy, ouchy, heart, heart. And she, the curls were so manufactured and the hair was so dark and kind of mousy at this point. And she looked like she was trembling the entire reunion. And I was like, look, we all need to have our reckoning, but this is scary to watch on camera. Yeah. Yeah. I hear that. I hear that. Okay. The other fashion moment I couldn't get off of is Lexi and Ray. They, so I just want to say this. I'm going to post on my Instagram. Their purses, both of them were a central point of their engagement. They both walk in in bandage bodycon dresses. No, Lexi's in bandage bodycon. Lexi's in slip dress. The important thing about bandage bodycon is that we, that left fashion five years ago. Five? Maybe even more than that. It was, I mean, I was like, it's when business casual stopped being the thing you wear to the club. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So she's in a bandage dress. I was like, whoa, this is, what? Because she's also 24. And so then they each have over the shoulder purses. Here's what's important about this. They're not at an actual restaurant. They're they're on a production. They're on a set. Someone take (laughs) my purse. They both have their purses on. And then the proposal happens on top of Lexi's purse. <laughs> and I just was obsessed with it. Lexi also had these layered necklaces that I can only describe as, as mall necklaces. Oh, yes. They're the yes. layered mall necklaces on the mannequins. Yep. And she just seemed to be sort of living in a different era while sort of representing 2023 queer love. Okay. This is where um, I'm going to look, we're, we're having espresso martinis. We're really getting into it. And I'm going to be a little shady. Please. There is a difference between gay and queer. Okay. This and gay is really, um, we can describe it very easily as usually very white, uh, wealthy, heteronormative, where we're, where like marriage is the thing because that is what our government has allowed us to finally have. It's like, we finally get to be like straight people. That's gay to me. Okay. Okay. Queer yes. is like, fuck all of that. We're not trying to assimilate. We are what we are and we are not going to abide by gender or dress or anything like that. I will say Lexi and her style to me rang so early 2000s San Diego gay in, and I know she had to San Diego, but one I've been and two, <laughs> it's like a, t- it's a town of a lot of Republicans and the queers that are like really subsisting, but they, they are subsisting in a very white heteronormative place. And they're still, uh-huh. they're still gay. And I think that there is a lot to be said for Lexi's style, which is also, we should say San Diego is where they filmed this. So like, and oh yeah, there's a, that's why I'm saying that there, this, they filmed it in San Diego. And I don't know if any of these people actually live there, but it felt like they just assimilated to the place. Do you know what I mean? I see. I see. Okay. Yeah. So, cause I didn't know what was drawing me to the fashion, but I just found so much Like if I was writing the screenplay, just describing what each person and each couple was wearing, like told such a story, story. Yes. And, and 
And like Tiff and Mildred also seem to be from a time capsule. A hundred percent. Same. Yes. Right? Same vibe. Yeah. Same both, vibe. Of, both of them completely different ways of dressing. Yes. But from from like, I don't know, it feels like they stepped out of another era. And But I didn't know why. I was just like, is this just who they are? Like, why are we like this? I mean, maybe, but I also, I do feel like it might not even be the San Diego of it all, but I do feel like there is, um, sometimes it's looking gay while also being accepted by straight people. Whereas Mal, mm-hmm. for instance, in the finale was wearing that like, Beautiful. That was so femme. hot. It was hot, but why was it hot, Chelsea? Why was it hot? Okay, because it didn't seem like they were h- hiding themselves, and it seems like they were presenting exactly who they were. So there was like an open chest, and it was a button up, but it was sheer, and it was like and this lavender color. Yeah. So is this mix of like femme and masculine where like those terms are no longer needed to describe it. It's just his own thing. Exactly. So the world that we're at, the zeitgeist is really, I think, leaning towards queer and where gender is this thing that we are just kind of um, constantly flipping off. We're turning it on its head. We're defining it in this way, especially younger generations are defining it as we want it to be rather than what has been. And I think that they're the expression in fashion on this show showed you who was there in the kind of figuring out what the definition of their identity is versus identity in relation to straight people in relation to what it's been. I would read, I would read a a thesis by you on this. I would, I would attend your masterclass. That was Thank you. I did not know why I was caught up on the fashion and you just Mm -hmm. described it to me. Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) Let's move into our final section. Fashion thoughts can still come up, but our final section is why this show is such a good example of it. And I'll tell you my feelings and then I want to hear your feelings, which is that I think um, in this latest era of trying to correct all of the um, oppression against every minority in this country, be Mm -hmm. it um, racial or because of gender, sexuality, they sort of heard the message of what you've done to us and how you've portrayed us on TV and film is really negative and and horrible for us in our communities. And in trying to correct that, those exact same people who did all those, hor- like, portrayed things horribly were like, okay, we just need to put them on screen. And now they need to be amazing. <laughs> they need uh-huh. to be amazing. Everyone's a hero. Mm-hmm. And what I feel like was missed is that was, Never what was asked for. What was asked for was that you show us truthfully, mm-hmm. authentically, and specifically. So instead of, here's a, like, once I say this, you will see it in every show, you guys. Here is a uh, non-white, also gay character in a sitcom, but they're the only one. And they're the most amazing person, and they have no jokes and no personality. 100%. Because how we've written them is to check a box, not to be a real person. Mm-hmm. And- I just feel like it's done such a disservice towards like what has been asked for, which is like, don't be generally, like I've generally put someone in there, but put someone specific. Like representation is about specificity, not about like giant broad themes. And I'm almost done. But this show, like in straight reality shows, we have never watched them and gone, ah, 
our finest straight people, the <laughs> finest straight people from all across America, <laughs> teaching us how to love on our TV screens. Uh, the, the creme de la creme. No, we go, where are these monsters? Where did they find them? Mm-hmm. And this show found like interesting, dynamic, wild sometimes unbelievable women and non-binary people to go on the show and do a good romance reality show, which is drama, toxicity, and mess. And I feel like until there's equality in toxicity, there cannot be equality for all. Thank you. (laughs) Round of applause. (laughs) I completely agree. I, and what I've never thought about it quite the way you put it, which is they all have to be good. They have to be good and perfect. And like, and those aren't real people. Like we just watched a show where these are real people having to get, get up and actually like be vulnerable in a real genuine and earnest way. And then we watch it fall apart. But it was what really rocked me was that it was to me, which is maybe why it's candy and why I love to really break it apart. It was innately anti-queer. It was in itself innately anti-LGBTQ because the fact alone, ultimatum, you started off the show, you started off this episode talking about how the ultimatum in itself is toxicity. It's like straight up toxic. But what's interesting about this ultimatum, we're already talking about toxic. We are also talking about an ultimatum that includes and demands marriage. Marriage mm-hmm. was never something that queers were ever going to have nor nor be allowed. And it kind of goes back to what I said about assimilating to a heterosexual white patriarchal culture is that we are try- these couples got on this show to try and be more like their oppressor. And that to me was one of the most shocking things to watch. And not like in a, not in a way that marriage is the oppressor, but marriage in a lot of ways goes against what queerness has, was like rooted in being like, we're going to have, it's the whole polyamory of it all. It's the defining gender is what it is. It's all over the places being like, we define our own maps, but this show was about a map and it was about a, so You're saying like this is 2012 marriage is now possible for queer couples. That is what our our equality is marriage, because that's what a lot of people fought for for a long time. Yeah. And you're saying we've moved past that. But it's interesting you're saying anti-queer, because I will say that will which is totally I I welcome it will totally undo my thesis of this being a show that teaches you how to do inclusion well (laughs) (laughs) if it is an inherently anti-queer show. No, I think but, it's all inv- it's all of this shade. It's all hues of each other. That's why it's interesting to me. It's because it yeah, all does but, exist, even within queer people itself. We these are things we have to untangle all of the time. So it's like it's not anti right. in a violent way. It's just anti in this way that it's like we are having to wrap our brains around what it is that makes us queer people and why, what representation actually looks like for us. Like the fact that the show mm-hmm. never used anybody's correct pronouns is really interesting. The fact that uh, gender in itself, except for a couple couples that this was gender was really and gender norms were really strong. And I don't mean anti-queer. I do. I really don't mean anti-anti in a violent way. I just mean it's so antithesis to what it is. I think that's a, I think that's a great point. And, and I, system, it's not something. You know? Yeah, it's not something I consider. But the one thing I'll push back on is yeah. what I feel, though, is that they had such a range of. This is, this is the other reason why it's a teachable show. Yeah. They had diversity within diversity. And 
And people often think of diversity as one thing. We're diverse, but like <laughs> diversity has diversity within it. And they showed so many different types of people, show so many different types of couples. When they swap partners, different couples and values emerge. Mm-hmm. And I felt like we had a range. So you did have something that was maybe more stereotypical yeah. to straight culture. And you had something that wasn't, except you're right, set up in the premise is, are we going to get married or not? Mm-hmm. Um, and there were down on your knee proposals. However, down on your knee proposal. I didn't even think about that because you know what? Your girl loves a down on your knee moment. When Lexi, when Ray gets down on one knee, proposes to Lexi with her purse on, and then Lexi gets down on one knee, proposes to Ray with her purse on. I said, I love this. I, I love this. If I could go back in time and have a double proposal, I would. Yes. Like, like this, I loved is, it. this is what's interesting about this is that none of it's wrong. It just is. We have to recognize the systems that it exists within, right? That like, yes. also like it is so, I was so proud and happy to be one, a, um, I would say a, a chapstick lesbian myself or a chapstick queer, but I definitely ride more femme sometimes. And I would say, I was so happy to see two femmes getting down on one knee for each other. I was like, here we go. You'll never see something as powerful as two femme women together. You just won't. Because there's mm. it, that, it, that it is, breaks, it breaks men's minds. <laughs> it breaks their minds. They don't get it. And it's so great as, as someone yeah. who, uh, yes, I, it's so wonderful. All that to say, okay, I, I think all this exists. Yeah. yeah. Yes. No, I think that, Oh, that was so well said. Okay, so this will be my last question for you. Do you want a season three of men and non-binary relationships of The Ultimatum? Or do you wish for a new, brand new show for queer love on reality TV? <gasps> okay, I... Uh, okay, so this is where I am, Toxic. I do love... <laughs> I do love watching people navigate something as intense and weird as an ultimatum itself. Because I'm like, yes. I get to sit here in my chair and my apartment and go, that's wrong. And I get to pass all these judgments and come on a podcast and talk about how, you know, all this stuff. Yes. But I do love that it exists. And I want to see what I would love to see is men, women, and non-binary people on the same show. Queer. I want it to be queer. And I don't, I want it to be uh-huh. all. I see. And I want to watch people's brains break as. Yes. Uh, yeah. You know what? You. This is what this made me think of, which I think now I'm going back to my original thesis, which is that I do not listen as a, as a, as the straight representation on this podcast, I do not watch the bachelor and go, that is us. That is my people. This is how we love. Yeah. I don't watch love is blind and think that like, I think you guys are nuts. You're the worst part of us. I think, I just think everyone should get to have a toxic bad yes. plays into the system, messed up little bullshit TV show that they can relate to. Yes, I agree. I agree. And that's back to your thesis. This is why this is good representation because we need villains. I need bad fashion. I need to be able to shit talk my people on this show. <laughs> <laughs> Kenzie, I'm, let's go make another espresso martini. Please yes. tell people where they can find you, follow you and support your work. <laughs> Thank you. You can follow me on Instagram at KZ Elizabeth um, or the website. This is uh, Kenzie Elizabeth. Um, and I've got a couple projects coming out, so stay tuned. But thank you so much for having me, my gal. I love it. And I can't wait to hang out the rest of the night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
Okay, you guys, you thought the episode was done, but it's not. This is me coming to you live from my iPhone at my dining room table. Kenzie and I are here. We, I, just so much vodka and the martinis. We have more to say. You can stop listening, but we've got some more to say. Kenzie and I kept discussing things and I got so mad at her because she she was bringing up all these points where I was like, this should have been on the podcast. So Kenzie revealed to me that Lexi has another partner already. Yes, uh, if you go on her TikTok, um, they are really pulling some leather for leather vibes and Lexi's showing up in that cutie sports bra in every video with her new partner and she talks about how she will never wear the fashion. Like she re- regrets the fashion. She made a whole video about regretting her fashion on the show because uh-huh. of what it, because it's more than just fashion. We yeah. were never discussing fashion. We're discussing like identity expression. Mm-hmm. And I think Lexi had an identity crisis. Yes, <laughs> I think so too. And now she's free. Okay. She was also bringing up a point about bow ties. We didn't discuss the bow ties. I mean, like what is there to be said besides uh, Tiff's bow tie? The bow tie action, I understand. Masks, I am hot for you. I love you so much. So wonderful. What are we doing with bow ties? It's not, we're not at David's Bridal, my guys. Like, well, uh, that is also where you said that about vests. So, uh, well, yes. I mean, that's what we're saying. Because Kinsey, we have to say, <laughs> Kinsey, right now, currently wearing a vest. She's currently in a vest. Like, truly am still wearing a vest. So. That is all for this week's episode of Glamorous Trash Talk. We've had two Glamorous Trash Talks in a row, I know. But listen, Scandival and Queer Love Ultimatum, you know, their finales were on the same night. We, we had to rush these episodes out. We are returning to books soon, but more Glamorous Trash Talk is headed your way. If you want it, let me know. Comment on my Instagram, the Patreon, Facebook, all kinds of avenues. And please support us on Patreon. You can sign up for just a dollar a month, literally a dollar. The hardest part is doing the sign up and it takes two minutes. We send a link to your phone. You get bonus episodes. You get a cookie crumbs email. You get photographs that go with the book that we cover. A ton of stuff. I will see you there. Huge shout out to our producer, Kate Downey, and our episode engineer, DJ Bouncy House. And um, bye. I got to go have an espresso martini. Bye. Bye.